Talk. Here we go on a Tuesday afternoon. Along with Adrian Bratis, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Coming your way, 600 ESPN El Paso. It's Hall of Fame Day, everybody. That's right. Today's the day we find out who gets in to the Hall of Fame. And that actually should happen momentarily. It's one of those rare days, Adrian, where we check Twitter and see who is, uh, if anybody, is heading to Cooperstown. Because it'll break within minutes. The announcement was supposed to come right at 4 o'clock. So I'm assuming that within just a couple of moments, we should know. If anybody, Scott Rowland, uh, Jeff Kent, who was, I think, in his final year of eligibility, gets into the Hall of Fame. I like Hall of Fame Day. I'm always excited, whatever, whatever sport it is. You know, uh, when it was Hall of Fame Day for basketball and the Naismith Memorial Hall of Fame and Tim Hardaway was a finalist forever, that was difficult. That was really, really tough to watch. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I just feel like uh, even though there have been more local ties to you know NFL Hall of Fame and also, like you just mentioned, NBA, the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, there's just nothing like the Major League Baseball Hall of mm-hmm. Fame because it's an exclusive crew and members that get there are um, are pretty much catapulted there by all the baseball writers who've either uh, positioned them to actually get into the uh, Hall of Fame or vetted them and feel like they've deserved to get there at that level. And uh, yeah, for Scott Rowland, incredible player, but now it's it's a matter of minutes to where we see whether or not he's on this ballot. And by the way, Baseball was the first sport that had a Hall of Fame. Interesting. I didn't know that. So I believe it was 1936 when the Baseball Hall of Fame was first created and that inaugural class. So, yeah, it's it's pretty wild when you start to look at, you know, how long that Hall of Fame has been around. Been around almost 90 years. Wow. So That's a lot amazing. of history in that building. That's why when, when Jay Jaffe would go and do his research there, go into the basement, I'd always ask him if it was haunted because that, because that place has been around so long. The ghosts of all the immortals could be living there. Yeah, I mean, hey, uh, Cooperstown is known for the Hall of Fame and known for what it does there. Um, I'm just curious as to what happens today. We we just saw a tweet from Jason Stark, uh, baseball writer at The Athletic, saying that there's been a lot of meaningful movement in support of Scott Rowland uh, making to the Hall of Fame. So let's I could see, see if it. that happens. I could see it. And it's so weird because I really liked Scott Rowland's career. I mean... He was a great defensive third baseman, had good power. Not great power, good power. But I almost feel like that's the new formula for immortality in baseball. Like, in the old days, the easy thing was this. 500 home runs, you're in the Hall of Fame. 3,000 hits, you're in the Hall of Fame. 300 wins, you're in the Hall of Fame. Those were kind of the the magic uh, the magic numbers. But what's happened since is that now you look at all of these other metrics that were never really weighed into a candidate's value. And 
individuals that never would have been given a serious look 20 years ago are completely um you know the 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 view is completely shifted like listening to um Chris Russo today on Mad Dog Radio talking about the Hall of Fame he kept saying that to him the magic number is how many of those um bold stats on the back of a baseball card meaning when you lead the league in something does a player have during their career like that was that was how he always looked at the Hall of Famers was when you go open when you when you open a pack of baseball cards and you see one of the best in the game the first thing you want to do on the back of that tops card is look and see how many stats are bolded because that means they led the league in a certain category and like for example i think babe ruth was had 30 over the years 30 uh stats that were in bold type garrig like 26 i mean just goes to show you what some of those guys did but they don't look at that the same way they do now. They don't. They look. They look at how they, you know, their defensive metrics, their wins above replacement, um, and and other special metrics when it comes to really weighing the Hall of Fame ballots. Yeah, now that that's really interesting because uh, advanced analytics has really influenced not just how we are are watching and how we reflect back on sports, but also now how we uh, manage sporting teams. Right? I mean, how many times do we hear from baseball teams or organizations that they are implementing the advanced analytics into their own schemes and models? Yep. And when you play the analytics, then you also have to do the same by referencing the analytics in years past. Uh, if we're truly committed to this saying that this is you know something that holds value to to your worth and for some of these people now that we look back on um, what their career and body of work showed us the advanced analytics are favoring them and what they Mm -hmm. did in history that's true and that's how guys are getting into the hall that you know otherwise would never have really been um you know a, a possibility and we've seen that we've seen the changes start um you know, again, I think there's some players that you can look at, like Fred McGriff. Hey, I've got no problem with Fred McGriff being in the Hall of Fame. Neither does Butch Henry, by the way, because they're they're both the same time period, contemporaries. People that played against them will tell you just how good they were, even if the metrics don't always show. Um, you know, and and the reason McGriff got in was he was part of that special committee committee ballot. When you analyze individuals who are off the main ballot. But are still you still look at them as potential Hall of Famers if they get enough votes, and McGriff did. Yeah, that's a that's really interesting. And also, you mentioned something that I find very fascinating when you talk to players of that era. Like, who stood out to you? Who who is like the guy who separates themselves among everybody else in that? And they might not have won rings, they might not have won pennants, or you know, they might not have even gone to the postseason with their team. But it's interesting to hear from former players like that, just kind of give their support for some of these players who are so dominant in their own era. That's true. That is very true. So, um, yep, they're about to reveal the Hall of Fame election results on MLB Network. That's that's happening, like, right now. So that's pretty cool. Um, and they're going to announce the, the, the class of the rest of the class of 2023, which, you got to realize, could be a very, very small group when it's all said and done. Might not be a large group. And I'll say this, because I've been there now. I think I've been there a total of twice over the years. Uh, once when I was very little. Don't remember it. But once about 
probably 20 years ago, maybe 21 years ago. I think it was either 02 or 03 when a buddy of mine who I went to college with, we went to, um, we went to Cooperstown together, took a day trip, and just had a blast at, at, the, at the Hall of Fame. It was so cool. Like, we just spent the whole day there and just enjoyed it. That drive up to Cooperstown from New York City is amazing. Uh, and then, you know, my only regret is I wish we would have picked up a hotel room that night so we could have gone back the next day and just yeah. like, really not had to rush it. Because when you go to a place like that, you really should try to spend two days there and not just one because it's hard. If you really love the game, it's hard to go through everything and see it all in one day. Yeah, that's kind of like speed, you know, speed dating in a sense. You're just doing it quick and then going back home at the end of the night. Like you, it, it's almost a full day event when you go to it Cooperstown. Uh, from everything that I hear, hey, I have a real quick question, and, and I want to get your prediction. Uh, what about Todd Helton and Andrew Jones? What do you think uh, we'll find out today about that? I think two? Andrew Jones is trending up. I think he's going to get more votes than he was receiving last year. Helton, look, I like Todd Helton a lot. I thought Todd Helton was a terrific first baseman. And was he aided by cores? They all, they're all aided by cores. I mean, you play in Colorado, yes. Chances are your career home road splits will be a little different. But I always thought Todd Helton was a terrific first baseman. He was, a, he was, a, he was a college quarterback at Tennessee. He was really good. Yeah, I, I um, that's like early baseball watching days for me, and I definitely remember Todd Helton very well. Uh, what about Carlos Beltran, his first time around? So this is really interesting because if you look at his numbers, they're Hall of Fame worthy. But because he was in that, uh, that, that cheating scandal yeah. in Houston, that could have a big impact on the number of ballots he's on his first year. Well, the also the other interesting part about that is it could set a precedent, right, Steve? I mean, uh, if it's Carlos Beltran where the voters stick their nose up and say, nope, they're not touching this, they're not going this route because of the scandal that's hovering around it, does that set the precedent for everybody else involved with the cheating scandal for the Astros in that championship? That's true, too. By the way... um, there are there were I guess um, a ton of ballots that were turned in, but uh, about half remaining. And of the ballots that were turned in, Scott Rowland was on eighty percent of them. Todd Helton was on seventy eight point seven percent of them. That would mean those two would get into the Hall of Fame, but there were still a lot of ballots left to go. Lots, because what happens is there's a uh, there is a guy. His name is Ryan Thibodeau, and his name is they call him Tibbs. He he keeps track of all the ballots. Oh, wow. Okay. That are that are public, like that will share with him the ballots. That's and then he has a spreadsheet stuff. and tells everybody who's there and who's not. Yeah, that guy's uh, definitely, you know, he's definitely living in 2023 if he's doing that because that's some tough stuff to do. Yep. Remember, you need 75% or more ballots to get into Cooperstown. And you know what? If it's, if it's Todd Helton today and also Scott Rowland, that'd be great. That would be absolutely terrific. So, and I could see others moving up the uh, ladder too. I really could. So we get going here on the program today. All right, thirteen past the hour, five oh five six zero zero nine. Track talk coming up in our four in our five o'clock hour with Eric Owen from Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino, the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino. So, um, you know, once we find out, and we'll probably get. I'll be honest with you. We're probably going to find out who goes into Cooperstown during the break. There's a really good chance that we'll get all this information over the next five, six minutes, 
And then when we come back, we'll tell you exactly who's heading uh, who's heading to Cooperstown. And then we can debate on, you know, was it uh, did they make the right decision or not? Yeah. Because there's always like 300 plus ballots, and Jay Jaffe's one of them. That's right. Yeah, our good pal, and uh, and it's interesting when you hear from him after the fact, his reasoning for voting, uh, which which ones he went, and then his interpretation of how voters, um, you know, ref- voted on the ballot, like how how their vote may have skewed things, or how the votes kind of shifted for a certain player. Like, I'd love to know more of the explanation on Todd, uh, Todd Helton specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do know this before we go to break. Scott Rowland heading to Cooperstown. Nice, excellent. So he's in. We'll talk more about Scott Rowland coming up. Ah, the ballots are in. They're done. Oh, man. Todd Helton, just uh, 2.8% short. Man. 72.2% of the ballots. And I'll give you the full list. But right now, Scott Rowland, Hall of Famer, joining Fred McGriff in the class of 2023. More in a moment as Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. So as we mentioned, Scott Rowland... This year's lone um, inductee from the general group. We mentioned that Fred McGriff was also nominated from the Hall of Fame's special class that they do. But here's the way it went, folks. Let me give you the raw. Let me give you the raw. The uh, rundown. I think you have to have five or more percent to stay on the ballot. Okay. Scott Rowland got 76.3%. He gets in. Todd Helton falls just short at 72.2%. Billy Wagner, 68.1%. Andrew Jones, 58.1%. Gary Sheffield, 55%. Carlos Beltran debuts at 46.5%. Jeff Kent in his final year on the ballot, 46.5%. A-Rod, 35.7%. 35.7%. Boy, the, the, the rioters just consider A-Rod a fraud, yeah, man. They really do. It's, it's like over. It's like his whole career is an absolute sham. Yeah. Because, because remember, he was suspended after baseball cleaned up the sport. Big difference between Bonds and Clemens, who A, never were suspended, and it was before baseball cleaned itself up, and A-Rod, who was suspended after baseball, cleaned itself up. 35.7%. Same goes for Manny Ramirez, 33.2%. Omar Vizquel, um, 19.5%. Andy Pettit, 17%. Bobby Abreu, who Jay Jaffe voted, which made me laugh, 15.4%. Jimmy Rollins, 12.9%. Mark Burley, 10.8%. Same percentage goes for K-Rod. And, um, oh, wow. That's a good one, too. Um, You know, it's funny. um, When you talk about, you know, outfielders uh, and and good outfielders in baseball over the years, people that really were, you know, in my mind, um, exciting players, had a chance to... Um, you know, deliver with both uh, the bat and the glove. I love Torrey Hunter. Loved him. Torrey Hunter, 6.9% on the ballot. So he survives, but barely. So really, Scott Rowland and Fred McGriff, that's it. That is it. 
Um, they're calling Scott Rowland one of the best third basemen of a generation. See, now, here are his numbers in case you're wondering. Career 281 hitter. 2,077 hits. Eight-time Gold Glove Award winner. Seven-time All-Star. NL Rookie of the Year. 2006 World Series champ. The truth is, if this Hall of Fame was prior to really like 2010, Scott Rowland would never have a chance. Never have a chance. He fell 1,000 hits shy of the magic number of 300. His career batting average was 281. It was not 300 or greater. Um, Eight gold gloves and seven all-stars are nice, but um, if you look at it, again, this I I really believe Scott Rowland is part of the new era of weighing baseball players. I always liked Scott Rowland a lot. I thought Scott Rowland was a really, really good baseball player. Couldn't be a great player. But injuries hurt him, and I never really thought of him as a Hall of Famer. Just never did. And yet, you know, and I'm sure I'll be arguing this with Jay Jaffe, and he'll tell me I'm nuts tomorrow. But, you know, the magic, here's the funny thing. The magic numbers for Hall of Famers are not the same now as they used to be. It's totally flipped upside down. Totally. That's definitely right. I mean, war is is one of the big stats that a lot of people uh, look at, the wins above replacement. Uh, also, you know, it's it's all the advanced analytics, and I think that all those stats, um, based on, you know, the news today of Scott Rowland being inducted into the Hall of Fame, those numbers would say that defensively he was a monster and he was a difference maker who was just going to help his team to victory all the time. And, and I think maybe, you know, while we don't take his defense for granted, maybe we don't skew some of those things because just because analytics tell us to, if that makes any sense. It does. But, I mean, like, look, Scott Rowland played in nine uh, different series in the playoffs in his career, and he's a 220 hitter. I mean, yeah. these are the things that, that they should look at, but they don't. So, I, I just, I don't know. Um, it's funny, too, because I look at the similarity scores as batters for him. And I don't see any Hall of Famers on this list. That's the other problem. Matt Holliday, Paul O'Neill, Sean Green, Bobby Bonilla, Reggie Smith, Aramis Ramirez. Hey, they're all the same kind of players. Good. Yeah, really good. Really good players. Scott Rowland was a really good player. I just don't think Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer. But then again, the Hall is so different now than it used to be. Um... You know, I remember the argument twenty years ago that it was diluting itself, and you could still you could still point in that direction now. Or better way, better look at it this way: the milestone numbers that we used to always talk about, they're very hard to reach now compared to the way they used to be. They are very very difficult, hard to reach. So that could also be it when you really start to look at it. By the way, um, I'm looking at the Hall of Fame stats. So this is kind of interesting, okay? So batting-wise, Scott Rowland has a Hall of Fame score of 99. Um, that ranks 181st. Likely Hall of Famer would be 100, so he's right around that number. Um, 
batting uh, for the Hall of Fame standards. 40, the average Hall of Famer is 50. So he's below. I mean, that's just what it comes down to. Um, interestingly enough, this is, again, this is Jaffe. When you look at Jay Jaffe's metrics for third baseman, he has Scott Rowland ranked as the 10th best uh, third baseman of all time. And we're hearing he's the greatest today. Yeah. Very recency bias. Well, you know? I mean, he's got his career wins above replacement as 70. The average Hall of Famer has a career wins above replacement of 68. Then you look at um, seven-year peak right there with the average Hall of Famer. And that's, such, and that's the interesting thing, okay? If you look at Hall of Famers in the Hall of Fame uh, at third, compared to Scott Rowland, according to Jay Jaffe, they're right there. I just, um, I never looked, I guess, at Rowland as a, a Hall of Fame third baseman. I'm looking at his best seasons. He had three years in his career where he hit over 30 home runs. Five in his career that he hit over a hundred runs, batted over a hundred runs in. So, um, yeah. And I and I can look at his stats and tell you that he hit over three hundred one, two, three times in his entire career. I just—it's hard. It's right. hard to call that a Hall of Famer. But if you okay, so let's say you're making the argument for him being a, an, a Hall of Famer. Maybe you're bringing up that 2006 World Series and saying, "Hey, he hit 421, five runs scored, five games against the Tigers of Detroit in that World Series." Well, I I, w- I would just argue on that point. On that Cardinals roster, he might not have even been a top three player when you yeah. consider Albert Pujols was on that team, along with Adam Wainwright, who is probably in the peak of his career, along with Chris Carpenter. Well, uh, also had Yadier Molina. Just a lot of great players on that team. I'll tell you this much, okay? So, in the 2004 World Series, he batted 0 for 15. Oh, man, that's in the two th- In yeah. the 2004 NLDS against the Dodgers, he batted 0 for 12. Oh my gosh! So yeah. you can look at that one that series where he hit four twenty one and realize that um, he was never a good postseason player, other than that World Series against St. Louis when he went eight for nineteen. He just that was by far and away the best postseason he ever had. Yeah, and even, I mean, you look at that specific roster right there, the 2006 one that we're referencing, where he, Scott Rowland, balled out and had a great series. Um, also, David Eckstein was right behind him, had a great uh, year as well. Jim Edmonds had a strong year there with the Cardinals. So uh, I, I know we're awarding this right here, uh, and maybe that's the highlight that we look at, maybe that peak season 2006. Um, but I, I think that really the reason why a lot of people are considering him a Hall of Famer is because of his uh, his defense. But then when you compare his defense and his Gold Glove awards, Steve, he has eight Gold Glove awards, and there are ten. Uh, there are uh, three others who've had eight or more in their career. Um, you know, in baseball. Line ringing in five zero five six zero zero nine as we approach the bottom of the hour here on Sports Talk. If you'd like to weigh in on this. And maybe I'm wrong. I mean, maybe uh, listen. I'm sure. I'm sure Jaffe's going to tell me tomorrow. Scott Rowland's a Hall of Famer, and no doubt a Hall of Famer in his book. It's just the numbers don't look good. So I think Rowland is a great example of how defensive metrics really elevate his game from very 
pedestrian, normal offensive numbers to just a great defensive player who was an above-average hitter. And I guess now if you're a great defensive player who's an above-average hitter, you're a Hall of Famer. I guess so, and that's just one of those things that um, we're going to have to to live with uh, on this level. But it's it hurt. You know what it harms? It harms those who were at the top of that level. Maybe whether it was batting, uh, home runs, or what whatever during those generations, it hurts those players when maybe their advanced analytics or advanced stats were not as high as some of the others. They're already calling Scott Rowland a slick fielding third baseman. So there you go. That's that's more of his calling card than his offensive numbers. Yeah, they're going to emphasize defense all the way around for him, and that's that's their justification. My wonder is this. How many great defensive players who had good offensive stats, careers, but not great, are not in the hall that should be in the hall right now? Yeah, those are the ones missing out at this point right here because very mediocre numbers that you just reeled off for Scott Rowland on the batting side. We'll talk more about it in a moment, especially with uh, a couple callers who are ringing in. 505-6009, would love to get your thoughts on this. I know uh, Eddie from Fort Bliss is on the line. He's going to weigh in first. Can't wait to hear his thoughts on on Scott Rowland and then more of your calls. So uh, please give us a ring, 505-6009. As we now know, Scott Rowland into the hall in Cooperstown, joining the likes of Fred McGriff. All right, as we continue, let's go to Adrian standing by. Bottom of the hour, Sports Center update. Adrian, thank you very much. We keep things moving here on the show. Let's get to a pair of calls right now. As I mentioned, um, we've got a pair of them, including David. But first, let's go to Eddie in Fort Bliss. He's going to lead us off, get us his take on Scott Rowland in the hall. Eddie, thanks for getting in. Hey, Steve. What's going on, man? Hi, Eddie. So let me ask you a question. At what point was Scott Rowland even the second or third best player on his own team? Uh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, and that's, that is a good point. I mean, you look at Philadelphia, Philadelphia, let's just take Philly in the late nineties. Okay. That's, that's probably the best example to look at right now. Philadelphia in 1998, when uh, they weren't that great a team, uh, record wise, but you had Bobby Abreu, you had Roland, you had Greg Jeffries, um, you know, that was, he probably was the best player on that team. They also had Kurt Schilling. Um, Is that the end of the, um, Lenny Dykstra, um, um, uh, Dalton era? Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, they, they never, yeah. I mean, that was, he kind of came, he came after that, really, when you look at him. He, he was more in that post era because by the time he debuted, you had, Mickey Morandini, Mike Lieberthal, uh, Darren Dalton was an aging right fielder on that team after he left catching. So, uh, you know, I would say he was the best player on those teams uh, by no, you know, by by a long stretch. But when he went to to uh, St. Louis in the early two thousands, really the height of his career, they had at that point there was no way. There was no um, way he was even the third or fourth best player. Well, they had Pujols. They had Pujols. They had Jimmy Edmonds. Um, they also yeah. had... Yachty, right? Um, uh, no, Mike Matheny. They had Reggie Sanders, but I wouldn't say Reggie now. I mean, Ray Lankford was on that team, but he was already an aging player. Really, the two best on that team by then was probably Albert Pujols and Jim Edmonds. 
Okay, now ask yourself this question. At what point was he the second or third best third baseman in National League? Well, he made seven. He made seven he made seven all star games, right? Right, but Cal Ripken made what, eighteen, nineteen all star games? And there were years where he was just voted in on name. No, that's true. That is Orioles I'm an Orioles diehard. And I would actually argue that the only reason Cal Ripken made the the Hall of Fame is he got three thousand hits, but because he played twenty one years. You know, he was another one that had yeah. a two seventy eight batting average. If you had to look at it, the way that it was always explained growing up was, were you the best player on your team or were you the best player at your position in the league? It was, did you make that biggest impact when it was necessary? No, I, I'm and with you. I'm with you. I, it, listen, I'm not. It, I'm not going to argue that. I mean, I, I I agree with you on a lot of those on a lot of those points. Again, the, Scott Rowland is not getting in because of his offense. Scott Rowland is no. getting in because of his defense, all right? That is, if, that is why. But the funny thing is this, okay? Scott Rowland played 17 years, and he won eight gold gloves, which means there were nine seasons he did not win a gold glove. So, correct. yeah, I'm with you. I'll, I'll tell you, the one that really surprised me is why did it take Fred McGriff so long? I have no idea. No idea. I would put Fred McGriff, if you had to put it in the – the category of deserving, I would have always put Fred McGriff over Scott Rowland because if you think about it, Fred McGriff was the driving force for a lot of those Braves teams, a lot of the the Padres teams, and even a lot of the Blue Jays teams that were on and winners. Whereas you had Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland was a backup player at best when it came to all the times where he was in that position. Yeah. Like I said, um, I, I I think Scott Rowland is a very very good third baseman. I do. Do I look at him as a as a as a can't miss Hall of Famer? Absolutely not. What was Absolutely. the old saying? What was the old saying when they had the arguments? Is it the Hall of Fame or the Hall of Very Good? Well, that's kind of what it's turned into. Let's be honest. That is uh, pretty. No, I, uh, pretty I accurate. totally. I totally agree. All right. Good to hear from you as always, Eddie. Appreciate the call, man. Right. Thanks. Thank you, brother. You got it. Let's move along. David's going to join us next on Sports Talk 38 Past. Hi, David. Hey, what's going on, guys? You tell me. Can we talk about a real sport? Please. Um, what do you think about this week's game, uh, the Niners again? You know, I, I had a feeling the Niners were going to be the Cowboys in some way. The weapons they have, uh, Kato Tebow, Mitchell, I mean, McCaffrey, you can go on. Hey, what are you? By the way, you're mumbling. Are you a Cowboys fan? Negative. Are you a 49ers fan? Yes, sir. Then why do you sound what do you, what do you sound like so depressed? Are you are you calling your work and you're trying to hide so that nobody knows you're calling in because you're uh, you're you're not you know you, yeah, it I'm, sounds like yeah. you're on the DL right now, man. Yeah, basically, I'm a little. I got right. to go to the side. You know, oh, I, got I don't you. get off so five. So oh, that's I, cool. Hey, well, I, thanks for calling in early, man. I appreciate that. And now that I know you're no, doing I'm, it at work, I'll give you a pass. That's cool. No, I just think uh, this game's going to be the real test. Mm. I have a lot of respect. Totally agree. Totally agree. Now, I mean, let me say this, okay? Uh, the thing with Philly is this. I watched them just manhandle the Giants like they weren't even there <laughs> on Saturday, and I thought to myself, my God. You know, I, I really liked the Giants going into this game. I thought they were going to give San, uh, Philly a, a terrific game, and I thought they could beat the Eagles. And the Eagles made it look like the Giants weren't even there. So, 
Yeah, I think San Francisco Philly will be terrific. But if the 49ers figure out a way to go into Philadelphia and beat uh, and beat Jalen Hurts and that team, man, there might not be anybody that's going to be able to stop them before it's all said and done. Yeah, it's going to be a tough game. I mean, you know, I I, uh, I like the, the you know two and a half points. I think three points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty pretty close there. You know, with point spread. It is. It is. So I'm with you on that one. I think it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be a fun game. I'm excited for you because I do think that that's going to live up to the hype for sure. You have any message for Cowboys fans now that their season's over? Yeah, I mean, I, I drive all around El Paso. I go from the east side to the west side. I live in the west side, but I go to the east side. Okay. I haven't seen one flag yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're they're not flying them. They're not even flying them at half mast. They're not flying them at all. Exactly. Well, these guys are. You know, uh, and uh, going back, you know. Uh, Shanahan, I think, should be coach of the year. You tell me, when he got there, they were 2-14, and 14, the worst team in the NFL. 2-14, 4-12, 13-3, Super Bowl, and Garoppolo. And then uh, last year, 9-7, championship game. And again, a championship game in five years? That guy, that guy has, he's doing something. You know what I mean? Yep, I do. I do. They're going to have a team. So I, I think they'll be good for a long, long, pretty long time. I just want to throw that in there. Hey, I appreciate the phone call. All right, Dave. 41 past. Sports talk continues. Come back with more in a moment. Stay with us right here. 600 ESPN El Paso. 47 past the hour. Track talk coming up here in about 15 minutes from now with Eric Allen, the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino. Excited about that. Excited about talking to you as well at 505-6009. That's our telephone number. Adrian, everybody that's talking about Scott Rowland, they're all saying slick, long-time slick-fielding third baseman. So let's just be honest. That's what got him into Cooperstown, okay? He is a long-time slick-fielding third baseman. I wonder how many slick-fielders with good offensive numbers but not spectacular offensive numbers are not in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's a really good question there, Steve. By the way, I love the adjective of slick. Uh, I'm going to use that for other sports now. So you you'll, should. you'll be uh, hearing me call Sule Boom a very slick point guard. or Slick shooter. Yeah, or, or maybe uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, very slick when he gets outside the pocket or something like that. But anyways, uh, Scott Rowland, a lot of debate. Uh, but I, I feel like... Let me ask you this question. Does he get a little Cardinal push because of this? Like, little Cardinals bias with with this? Well, I don't know, because think about this, okay? He spent, of his 17 years, seven with Philly, six with St. Louis, four with Cincinnati, two with Toronto. So he actually spent more time with Philadelphia. But here's the funny thing, okay? If you look at his numbers... For his career, Philadelphia and St. Louis were the first 13 years of his career. He wrapped it up with Cincinnati and Toronto, okay? Um, Believe it or not, you know, 15 years worth offensively, very, very uh, similar numbers across the board. Like he hit 282 with Philly, he hit 286 with St. Louis, he hit 288 with Toronto. So those are all very, and then his numbers dropped off the last four years with Cincinnati. But then again, he was 30, ages 34 to 37 with Cincinnati. His power numbers were good with Cincinnati, not as good as they were with Philly and St. Louis. The first 13 years of his career, 
as consistent offensively as you're ever going to get. Like, his numbers are almost identical. Identical to where they were. It's amazing. Like, Philadelphia, 282 batting average, 373 ops, 504 slugging, 877 OPS. St. Louis, 286 batting average, 370 uh, on-base percentage, 510 slugging, 879 um, OPS. Those are like identical numbers. So for 13 years of a 17-year career, you knew exactly what you were getting with Scott Rowland from an average standpoint. 280-plus batting average, on-base percentage in the 370s, slugging right about 500. Those are good numbers. Those are not bad numbers. Those are really good numbers, okay? Um, And you add the defensive metrics on top of that, and yeah, you have a you have a really good third baseman. You do very very good third baseman. Was uh, and I'm just asking you this was was Philly nearly as successful as the Cardinals were during the stretch? Like he probably played way more relevant baseball with St. Louis, didn't he? Yeah, he debuted in '96. The Phillies were 67 and 95, then 68 and 94, then 75 and 87, 77 and 85. 65 and 97, and then Larry Boa took over in 2001, and they were um, second in the NL East. They were 86 and 76, okay? So he uh, didn't really play on uh, great teams with Philadelphia. In fact, um, they were then they were 80 and 81 the following year in 02. And then I think, then I think in 03 was the year, 03 was the year he went to Philadelphia, all right? And Philly, uh, I'm sorry, to St. Louis, uh, I should say. And St. Louis was a better run than, um, than Philadelphia because St. Louis in 02, 97 and 65 with Tony La Russa, and um, they lost in the NLCS that year to the Giants. Then the following season, they finished third in the Central. Then they were first in the Central, lost in the World Series, swept by the Red Sox in 04. I remember that, yeah. Then in 05... They won 100 games, won the Central, lost in the championship series to the Astros. That was my biggest loss at the time. I, that was like my hardest loss. I was a huge uh, Albert Pujols fan growing up, and uh, I took that loss pretty rough. Well, he won his ring in 06 when they finished 83-78, and 78, won the Central, uh, beat the Padres in the Divisional Series 3-1, beat the Mets in the championship series 4-3, beat the Tigers in five to win the World Series that year. That was his World Series. So all produ- it seems like all relevant production, all relevant baseball play was with the Cardinals, which, I mean, I'm just curious. Like, is there any bias on the national writing standpoint toward Cardinals players and Cardinals greats? There are a lot of great ones. The they Cardinals were very successful during that time in the 2000, early 2000s. Uh, so I'm curious to see if uh, people skew uh, the votes toward some of these former Cardinal players. They had a good run. And look, Rookie of the Year, seven-time All-Star, eight-time Gold Glove Award winner, won the World Series in 06, and was a Silver Slugger winner. So he did check off a lot of the, of the boxes in terms of, in terms of uh, his accomplishments. But when you look at the players that he compares to the most for his career, um, you know, again, it's, it's an interesting list. Matt Holliday, Paul O'Neill, Sean Green, Bobby Bonilla, Reggie Smith, Aramis Ramirez, Ron Santo, Fred Lynn, Kenny Boyer, and Ellis Perks. I mean, of that group, Santo's the only Hall of Famer. And he got in after he died. 
So that's the hard part right there is from a batter. Those are the batter scores. So you could tell that as a hitter, he was a very good hitter. He just wasn't a Hall of Fame hitter. The defense got him in. Yeah, I mean, and defense is what Scott Rowland is, and everybody across social media is talking about him defensively and all the great things he did. Uh, But it it really does, I mean, to round back to our uh, discussion earlier, really makes you reflect on some of the great defensive specialists and defensive players that we've seen over Major League Baseball history who aren't in Cooperstown. Todd Helton was a great defensive first baseman, okay? He also was a career 313 hitter with the Rockies. Yeah, that's some good numbers right there. Two-way player instead of, you know, Scott Rowland uh, being known for what he does defensively on, at third base position. And Helton always hit really good in cores, but he hit pretty good on the road as well. All right, one hour in the books. When we come back, track talk. Eric Alwyn next, right here, 600 ESPN El Paso. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Track Talk, where we get a chance to sit down with the voice of Sunland Park Racetrack and Casino, Eric Alwyn, and uh, not only review the races from this past weekend, but also preview the races coming up this weekend. Eric, first off, welcome back. It was a cold morning in El Paso, but now, as usual, things uh, starting to turn out the way they always do. It's, it's going to be a, a beautiful week for racing. Super cold. You even had to take Joel to school late, right? I did. I did. Pushback, huh? It's yeah. A... It's cold here in the press box. I'll tell you. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. Um, but, uh, it, it is going to be. Up this know, weekend. It's going to be all heating up with a monster uh, set of stakes races. But before we get to all of that, I know the Winsham Lad handicap uh, had been canceled from Sunday, uh, but yes, there sir. was still mm-hmm. we we still had three big days of, of live racing. What were some of the highlights for you from this mm-hmm. past weekend? You know, a week ago today, Enrique Gomez, who's been, you know, one of our top riders for over a decade, he won the first four races on the card on Tuesday, and I thought that was exceptional. He was close to winning five, and uh, just, I mean, he had the hot hand. He was just doing everything right. There were some non-favorites in that sequence that he won, and I think that, you know, that kind of a day certainly projected him close to the top of the, the rider standings. About two weeks ago, I failed to mention on a previous Zoomcast that, uh, well, Flacco Capellucci almost won six on a Tuesday card that was devoted to Thoroughbred. So, you know, in the young part of the meet, I mean, human-wise, it seems like Flacco Capellucci and Ricky Gomez, there's been some, some, you know, bubbling about from Luis Fuentes. He's been winning, and I'm sure he's going to explode soon. Uh, but Flacco Capellucci is at the forefront the Terrific news. And and again, this is mm-hmm. some of these new names that, you know, we haven't necessarily mm-hmm. gone into depth about like we have others. And, right. and it just shows right. me it's going to be a pretty competitive meet this year. Mm-hmm. You know what else happened? What's that? The four-legged, the four-legged deck, not the two-legged deck. Two-legged deck, mm, I don't know what happened. But there's a four-legged deck that impressed me. A big, beautiful, gray 
gelding. Uh, an 870-yard lover. Really impressed fans here on Saturday, uh, winning a very tough allowance for quarter horses and thoroughbreds. And I think that we have a, an 870 stakes race for the first time in my memory. Well, at least a few years here at Sumlin. And that's the Star Western Wear Stakes. So, anyone that's listening, beware of that. Running in that race, the Star Western Wear Stakes, probably February 4th. Perfect timing, because that would be about, you know, a two-week rest since his last win here. That's a good preview. Dak is a pretty well-known Texas-based racehorse that's a veteran. Seven-year-old. He's earned uh, $400,000. Primarily not at the, uh, you know, the popular distances. He likes to go further than 440. He likes 550 and 870. And he's trained by the hottest quarter trainer on the ground, J.J., Gonzalez the third. Is Dak spelled just like Dak Prescott? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. You know what's interesting? Dak yes, Prescott indeed. was a rookie like seven that years ago. That was quite ago. a game. Oh, God. Uh, don't bring it up for Cowboys fans. I wonder. I always wonder if horses are named after football players because Dak would have been a rookie oh, yeah. seven years ago, and if the and if the owner was and a big seven. Cowboys fan. Yeah, it's possible oh, that yeah. you never know. Yeah. You never know. I think it was. Huh. Of course, you know, the horse was bred eight years ago, but, um, I mean, they could wait a while. Horses are unnamed sometimes till they reach the age of two. Oh, yeah, I'd say that's 100% dead on. That's really interesting. Yeah, it's nice to see, you know, a horse run, run good to his namesake. There you go. Hey, uh, meanwhile, this weekend, man, oh, man, mm-hmm. um, we have, you know, first off, the 50th anniversary of the shoe fly is going to be Saturday. 50th mm-hmm. running of this race the 400-yard sprint? Steve. Yep. Talk about it for me. Hey, that's a longer run than me, Steve. <laughs> I've only lasted a mere 34. Shoot. <laughs> it, it's going to be awesome. And, and then, by the way, um, uh, tell me about just the, the field that is going to be involved for these three-year-olds. I really like this race, Steve. It's worth a ton of money, about a quarter million dollars. We had trials for it back on January the 7th, so they've had a good long rest. And, you know, they're not babies anymore. These are, these are three-year-olds, newly turned three-year-olds. And I saw some amazing performances from some of the top qualifiers. Probably most notably, Flash Devine comes to mind. Because when do we not talk about, you know, the legendary All-American Futurity winning trainer, West Jocks? Every year he's got, you know, an impact in our races. And uh, he's the trainer of Flash Devine. And this is a horse that did show ability at two. Back in 2022, he qualified for a, a futurity at Sunray, a race that I even called. But it seemed like he got better than that late late in his two-year-old year and then really good in the trials that we had three weeks ago. He's by first moon flash, arguably the greatest stud in quarter racing, no matter if it's open or New Mexico breads. So he's going to be a major player. And this Noe Garcia, I should be mentioning him each and every week because he's He's riding at about a 20% clip, and he's a quarter's rider. So he rides on Fridays and Saturdays. And this Slash Divine looks sharp, ready, fresh. Interesting horse, though, in Wahini. I would I would beware of Wahini. Wahini was actually just a touch, a couple hundreds faster in the trials. And then there's another one that Escar Ramirez is riding, first lady on canvas. And... That horse, that filly's only won her last four races, so I mean, she's a major threat. To be honest with you, it looks like 
The contention runs deep on the outside. Flash Divine the seven, Wahini the eight, uh, the, the trial winner Mires a la Luna in the nine hole, and then the ten, First Lady on canvas. I think I'll be one of those four. I really do. Shoe Fly will be highlighting Saturday. Corner, yep. I would probably go for Flash Divine. I believe it. Uh, Shoe Fly highlighting Saturday's races. Um, Sunday, mm-hmm. what a day that's going to be for you, uh, thoroughbred fans. We have a we have yeah. uh, four big stakes races. There's a six furlong race, two six and a half furlong races, mm-hmm. and the mile, which uh, will be the big one, the Riley Allison Derby, the 59th running of the Riley Allison Derby. But we've got the 25th running of the Borderplex Stakes. We've got the 20th running of the Jameson Memorial Handicap, and we've got the 18th running of the Fort Bliss Stakes. So, Eric, t- Sunday is a monster day in horse racing here that's at Summit. And with Dallas out of the way, we should be okay. There should be lots of attention, you know, at least locally. On I know the, the NFC and AFC championships are going on, but this is probably the third or second best weekend of the season. Only only second or third to the Sullivan Derby Day. Because this will be the first live prep for that race, and the Rally Allison Derby in its 59th renewal will be the ninth and final on Sunday. And, uh, Got to give a lot of credit to Sean Windsor and his great uh, staff in the racing office getting 10 plus two also eligibles, you know, into this race. So it looks like there was plenty of interest for this $100,000 race. And, and horses are coming from pretty much everywhere in the Southwest, California, Arizona, and New Mexico. Uh, Todd Fincher, as a matter of fact, has the three outside horses in the 8, 9, and 10. He has Malmo. Garuvin, an American outlaw horse that's been seen at uh, Remington Park. Casey Lambert has a go-zapper son called Zia Zapper, who will love the extra real estate. But you know who the sleeper in the race is, probably, Steve? Who's Wild that? on ice from the resurgent Joel Marstable. And Joel's been throwing winners at us left and right since the meet started. And this is a horse that impressed me so much at the Hobbs meet. Has enough early speed to get himself into the race early. Has the type of breeding that can go long. And he, he drew pretty well. He's in the two-hole, going a mile. And Kenny Tohill will be riding him. So it's a great betting race. Um, there's there's others to you know to you know worry about. Robertino Diodoro is bringing us a horse called Loud Mouth Soup. He could be dangerous. I think the Robeson Zone. How did he do that? So, wow, that's a Steve Asmussen train runner. So that'll certainly be the marquee race of the day that we'll close on. The Jamison Memorial Handicap came up huge with 12 runners going six and a half. That's a New Mexico bred race. Dallas Barton's Thunderdome is going to take some beating in that race. He's sharp and a veteran and ready to go. No Passamata. One last time out. He's in the race. Cheese tray for Todd Fincher is going to be a big threat. Really looking forward to those those two back to back races. It sounds like it's going to be uh, yeah, uh, just a packed mm-hmm. day. What can you tell me about the Borderplex Stakes, Eric, and the Fort Bliss Stakes? Mm-hmm. You know, I like that Borderplex a lot, even though it's a compact field, just five. But these are all sparkling fillies, all of them. And Christian Dioro is a bolt Dioro filly that uh, Todd has developed into quite a smashing runner. All the horses that that uh, she smashed at uh, Zia have done well and come back and run well. So although this might be her first uh, you know, splash into the stakes division, I think she's very dangerous. She's so fast. 
But Todd's probably got another horse that's even better, and that's Flying Connection. Flying Connection won a big money stakes race at Zia and defeated uh, a Steve Asmussen runner. So right now as it stands, I think that Flying Connection is going to be your, you know, your three to two favorite and really just wants to get it on right from the beginning. Quick, has good staying power, could be the star, at least in the Philly part of the of the Todd Fincher stable. Greg Green has foolish delight, and I made some notations on that one as a horse to watch. So, I mean, there's really not money you can throw out there. Nancy Summers trains uh, the one-horse love tank. And Steve Asmussen's bringing us another one in a horse called Fee. And that horse has been running in, in Kentucky at Turfway Park. So it's a good way to start off on all stakes pick four. That'll I, be the first leg of it, at least. I also love the fact that there's so many shippers coming in for these races. There's interest. The money's solid. Hopefully the weather will oblige. And, you know, the border plex dovetails into the island fashion. Of course, the island fashion is the prep for the uh, big Solon Park Oaks, which is worth 300 large. So it, it pays to run here and get a little get a little, get a little used to the, the confines. It, you know, it always seems like some juggernaut always comes in and wins those two races, the Oaks and our Derby, without having a, you know, a prep. But it can go the other way, too. We've seen it. We're a runaway ghost participated in our preps and won it all, won the Sullivan Derby. I mean, it's just an amazing set of races that we have from here on out. The next 60 days are the most important part of the meet. I'll tell you this much, 61 degrees and sunny. That's the current forecast for Sunday oh, afternoon. Thank goodness. Thank goodness, Steve. We really need that. It's been cold, most of the meat. Yeah. That's it's true. It's not help, but, um, but 12, we're pretty lucky. 12.25 post-time. Yep, for all the races yep. this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Tuesdays as well. Eric, I can't wait. It's going to be a great weekend. Sunday's unbelievable. So um, much, and thank you for joining us here on Track Talk. We'll talk to you again right back here next uh, next Tuesday. Look, looking forward to it, but thanks, Steve. Eric Allen, folks, as we continue here on Track Talk and Sports Talk. We'll come back after uh, Charlie One with traffic and plenty more of your phone calls as we continue. 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk. Here we go. 20 past. Thanks again to Eric Alwyn joining us for another great edition of Track Talk. Our number, 505-6009. That's our telephone number. UTEP Zay's in the house. Welcome back, Zay. How are you, my man? Good. I'm happy today. Feeling good. Why are you happy, Zay? Let me hear. Man, UTEP's using the transfer portal. It feels, it feels great. Oh, yeah. Say that again. UTEP's using the transfer portal. They are. It's, it's a good feeling. Is there anybody new after they got the kit from UTSA? No, but uh, I would expect like maybe one more out of the portal. They're really going after this FCS uh, defensive back. I, I forgot the name, but okay. yeah, it's pretty good. I thought you were going to tell me that you were excited because you're off for school by two hours today, and um, when you looked outside at 7 o'clock in the morning, you realized that there was nothing going on. I didn't even look outside. I was asleep. <laughs> I so got to take advantage. So you took advantage of the extra time and just slept in a little bit more, huh? Yeah, it felt good. It felt energized. There you go. That's good. That is good. Yeah, I woke up today about 7, 7 o'clock, went outside, took a look, and I go, oh, I st- I, I'm like, okay, yeah, this is this is great. Not even a dusting. No. No. Do you know that when we were growing up, 
Were you were you in the same uh, age like us, Adrian? That when you were a kid and the weather was bad, you listened to the radio and you watched yes. TV, and that's how you decided if there was going to be school that day or not. Yes, and it was like to the to the bitter end. Like you'd yeah. be, you'd wake up at like seven thirty in the mm-hmm. morning. You you get ready yep. for school, but then you just have your fingers crossed. Like please, please let me. But then sometimes the funny parts were. It felt like you actually had to have snow, or there had to be like actual weather concerns if there was uh, if there was um, you know any kind of delay in school. Not like today, where you know we we had a two hour delay that was announced yesterday before the day even ended. That's right. It's exactly what happened. So I stayed in for a couple hours, took my son to school, was a part of a couple of uh, teams meetings today from the house. And just worked uh, remotely for a few hours until I rolled into the office around uh, 10.30. That's a beauty about, I'm good with that. Like the fact that we can work remotely for a lot of things now. I mean, not just here in this building, but a lot of people here in the city are very fortunate to work remotely. Yep. Uh, and that's important for the kids, right? Because they've got to still take the kids to the school or, and all that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, my wife uh, had that delay. She got a chance to sleep in and, and take advantage of that and have some morning coffee and hang out. And so I think a lot of teachers and students were really happy. They're, they're happy about that. And I, I'm cool with it. I was hoping to sleep in until that... 7.30 a.m. Teams call was ready for us. That's right. You yeah. weren't on that call. No way. Definitely not. <laughs> I saw that. I looked and I was like, where's Adrian? Ah, oh, he's sleeping in. He's not on that call. I like the optional uh, message to that, Steve. That was my biggest thing. So when I saw optional, I was like, all right, I'll be on for the uh, mandatory one at 9. Oh, which is exactly what you did. All That's right. right. Well, the optional was pretty good, by the way. I liked it. You would have liked it. Cool. Nice. You have a chance to see it again so that you'll watch another one and you'll be fine. Um, we're almost at the midway point of the show right now, folks. We really are. And by the way, I mean nobody cares about us talking about no, work stuff. Nothing. They they don't. They 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 couldn't care less. I I totally understand that. Um, do you realize that two weeks from today, Zay will be uh, where you are, Lane Frank will be where I am, and as we are rolling into Phoenix, we'll be able to turn on the 600 ESPN El Paso app. And listen to the two of them host sports talk for a couple hours. I'm very pumped about this. Uh, we were talking. I was talking uh, logistics with Zay right now, and I think he's fired up as well. Maybe we'll get uh, some uh, insurance help as well. Maybe like a uh, little Jason Craig if Good. he's able to drop in uh, here for a segment or two or something like that. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't. I can't believe it's only two weeks. I was looking at the calendar today. Had a had my friend uh, who I'll be staying with that week hit me up actually right before the segment even started and said, "Hey, can you give me your schedule?" And I was like, "Actually, sure. Thank you for asking." Oh, that's really cool. By the way, do you have like a, a chance to just roll in when you want, come and go as you please? Is that pretty much the way it's going to be? So I, that's what I asked him. That's what that's definitely what I asked him. But I said, you know what? I'll be flexible. If if you if you need to drop me off at like a Starbucks and I'll uh you know I'll, I'll walk up to your uh, place or your apartment right after that, I'm cool with that. You know, I, I'll be flexible. I, I love Scottsdale, Arizona. Oh, nice. Does he have, now? Does he have a, a, a wife or a girlfriend? No, he's a single guy. Oh, so this is cool for you. Yeah, it'll be All good. Right. Yeah, be, I, be I saw plus the couch. One. I saw the couch that I'll be bumming on, and nice. Uh, yeah, it's, it's. I'm very excited, man. I can't. I can't tell you how pumped I am. That's good. That is really good. All right, I'm. Uh, I'm happy for you. I, I, I can't wait. It's gonna be a fun, uh, fun show, fun trip, fun experience. And who knows? It will end up getting a hotel when it's all said and done. You never know. That's right. I Anything's like. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. Hey, if you're a business out there wanting to join us for the Super Bowl, hit us up. You're the greatest.
You are the greatest. 26 past the hour. But we already have a bunch of people already lined up on this trip. This is going to be terrific. We have some great sponsors that are going to be making making this whole thing happen for us, which is really what it's all about, right, is getting getting everybody on board for this trip and uh, being ready to go. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, and it's uh, good people who've worked with us for some uh, uh, considerable amount of time and some new friends, which is the fact that uh, we're getting kind of this mixed bunch of people in this mix and having Stephen Foster oh. and Chris Fernandez join us and the fact that we'll be on from noon to 2 and then from 4 to 7. I mean, we've got five hours of sports every day. I love our new friends as much as I love our old friends. It's great. Let's, let's, even, let's just give them a little shout-out right now. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Uh, I want to thank Technomark El Paso. They're jumping on board for the very first time. We appreciate Technomark uh, sponsoring this trip as well. Um, also, this is great. Um, Chick-fil-A on Airway coming in and Border Pallets showing up for the first time. I mean, we got we got some newbies. I'm so excited about that. And uh, not to mention, uh, we also have Rise uh, Federal Credit Union. They're going to be a part of this. And uh, that's just uh, just a few of them, Adrian. Yeah, some of our other new friends, like New Start Homes, uh, they're joining us for this, along with uh, who better than the Oscar ID at the agency as well. Very nice. So some new friends, some old friends. That's what it's all about. Um, but we will have more uh, information, more sponsors to announce in the days and weeks to come. And uh, before you know it, we'll be on our way to Phoenix. Already have the rental car ready to go and uh, should be good. Yeah, now we just need to be out there with the Foss, with Chris Fernandez, get the guests, uh, and uh, it's it's just going to be a blast. Can't wait for this. Those guys are flying, but then again, they're in Austin. I would expect them to fly. be a long drive. That's like 17 hours to get from Austin to uh, Phoenix. Yeah, no fun. No fun. They'd have to spend the night here like Tuesday or something like that and then drive up that next day. I'm surprised they haven't th- I'm surprised they haven't said to us, hey, we'll, we'll uh, join you guys in the rental car. <laughs> yeah, me too. I Actually, the fact that they haven't done that is, is pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I saw this story hit earlier this morning, and I want to thank JC at EPTXSCOEE. For sending this our way. Top 20 best worst student sections of the week for Big Game Boomer. Okay. I guess this is um, college basketball now. Best worst student sections of the week. UTEP. Number six on the worst student sections of the week. Okay, I'm looking at this right now. Um, they join schools like Georgia Tech, Providence, Georgia Southern, Michigan, LSU, Georgia, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and uh, Conference USA's own Western Kentucky. They do. Uh, you're right about that. OU's on this. Ohio State's on this. Utah's on this. Mississippi State, Stanford, Cincinnati, Cal. It's a big list. Come on, Chris Jan's got a better student section out there. Georgia Tech, where are you, Josh Pastner? right yeah they're actually good right they are by the way how about the lobos number two in the best student sections of the week number two not surprised there and by the way a great game last night between them and nevada uh Mm. they ended up uh, being kind of on the short end of a bad call and uh, as a result the lobos lose in the first time in a while by the way they were ranked going into this week so that might bump them out of the top 25 Oof. by the way um I don't think anybody's going to argue with UTEP being in the worst student section. Uh, probably, forget the week. What says, like, the worst student section of the decade? 
And the decade's only four years old. You could even call it the millennium. I don't even know what, what I would say. So the century. I mean, since really the, the 2000s started, the students haven't exactly been uh, ripping it down for UTEP sports. Maybe it's worse now than it's ever been before. But, yeah, like when I saw UTEP on the list for worst student sections of the week, I thought, well, my first reaction was, I didn't even think it was the week. I just thought it was the worst student sections of the of the season. But then he said it was the week, and I'm not going to argue that. They probably would be permanently on that list if that was the case, right? Well, you know, uh, I usually keep up with stuff like this. I know Big Game Boomer, his lists are interesting, to say the least. But um, UTEP's, they, they've been on this list, like, a couple times, whether it's for football or basketball. They've been on it a couple times. They have been on the on the good side of, of a good student section just maybe once or twice. But, uh, yeah, if you scroll down maybe a little more, like, towards football season, they were definitely on there on the worst student sections of the week uh, during that time. They were. So they, they're a regular, uh, you know, a regular visitor to this whole part. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Okay. If students don't care. They just don't. It's the truth. They don't. How were the students Saturday night against Florida Atlantic? I thought, I thought they showed up. I thought, I thought it was it was better than I expected. You know, it, it filled in a little bit. I didn't have a great view. Like I sat right next to the band, but from what I saw, like it looked it looked pretty solid. Adrian, you had a good view. Yeah. How was it? I thought it was better than it's been. But again, it's not. I mean, look. Me saying it's better means that people actually showed up. Um, I think those who were in the heyday of the early 2000s or even the late 2000s where you you got to see some of those good Tony Barbie teams, those student sections were loud. They never never sat down uh, at any points in the game. And that's what made them uh, so such a great uh, student section. And we love Jason Craig. He's one of our own. But, you know, when Jason's out there trying to pump up the student section, he's the only guy out there doing that, then I think it's tough. And Jason's like the guy leading the charge on a lot of this stuff. Is Barbie the last coach to really have a decent student section? Did it ever? Did they ever show up regularly for Floyd? I, I don't think as much, right? Maybe that like uh, Memphis run when when they were taking on Memphis when they had the conference USA tournament in town, those kinds of days, maybe. But uh, no, I I don't think as soon as UTEP started to lose uh, in that 2014 2015 range, students started to leave. And I I got to UTEP at, in 2015. No one cared. I'm telling you, no one cared about those games. Ah, all right. And I was part of like organizations and stuff. No one would say, "Hey, let's all go to the UTEP game. Let's do this." No, it was it was just you know the just the, didn't the, care, didn't care. Interesting. Thirty three passed. The sports talk continues. Five zero five six zero zero nine. That's our telephone number. Um, will the students ever come back? I don't know. I, I, for students, don't you think it has to be like a, a trendy thing for them or something that they really want to do? Even if it's that, I, I feel like like for example, um, the. UTEP athletes, the student athletes who live on campus, I feel like they don't have any excuse to not go to some of these games. But for whatever reasons, there's just more things for the young people that, that capture their minds. Maybe it's video games. Maybe they like to go out and do different things, hang out with friends, whatever it may be. But they're not going to the games. And and you saw like some of the incoming UTEP students like Tyrone McDuffie. He was there both games last week for Florida International and Florida Atlantic. He has a lot of minor pride, but then again, Steve, he was he's part of that one percent who grew up as a UTEP football fan, grew up wanting to be a minor and wanting to you know really be a part of the sports and everything like that. I wonder how many football players actually start showing up regularly to basketball games. Not a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah not a lot. All right. 
We'll come back with more. 34 past. Here's Adrian in Sports Center. Thanks, Adrian. You know, I've already seen the stories of Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. Even seen a mock-up of what it looks like with him wearing the number 12 uh, as a Jet. Although it's weird because that's Joe Namath's number, which is retired. So I don't necessarily think that uh, Broadway Joe is going to just gift it to Rodgers. Well, maybe he will. You know, Namath's the kind of guy that he might just tell Rodgers, a future Hall of Famer, hey, if you if you come here, you can get the number. That would be kind of an interesting gesture. If it's an honest and if it's an admirable question and ask by Rodgers, then it will be a cool thing. Because I could also see uh, Aaron Rodgers, just knowing who he is from a character standpoint, sometimes a narcissist, going in and almost demanding that number twelve go to his way. That wouldn't go so. That would not go so far if you're a uh, if you're a Jets fan. You realize that, right? Yeah, yeah. that's like blasphemous at that point yeah that is that is so uh i'm not sure how that'll work but i am interested now to see uh what you know what rogers has to say and he was on pat today in fact i'm probably going to play some of that this i just got to make sure it's clean because as anybody's ever listened to the pat mcafee show they know that uh there are plenty of words we can't play on this radio station that are regularly um you know part of that program so once i can uh, listen to a little bit of that audio clean it up i'll do that for us we'll, we'll, we'll get that uh, ready to go That'll be nice. Well, I mean, I'm just going to go back to the Jets and the football fit aspect of this. The Jets were a seven and ten team this year, but it felt like they were probably a lot better than seven and ten. And how many times when they lost did you point at the quarterback position and you wondered whether? I mean, you know, it was almost Zach every Wilson, time. Yeah, whether it was Zach Wilson or just Mike a small White. error by Mike White or yep. not having somebody at that quarterback position. Grandpa Joe, Joe Flacco. That's right. That's right. Thirty-seven past the hour. Here on Sports Talk, 505-6009, as uh, we continue. Um, well, I would love to get um, you know more response from people about that and uh, see what they have to say about Aaron Rodgers to the Jets. I find that whole thing fascinating, especially if the Jets would give up two number one picks Ugh. to get Aaron Rodgers. Could you imagine? No, He's 39 they, years old. If if that was coming back, like if they're sending that out, then they have to know coming back with Aaron Rodgers, he they restructure that uh, ridiculous deal that's that's hanging over him. I mean, he he just signed a 150 million dollar extension last year. Uh has about 110 left guaranteed. Whew, they a lot have of money. to re, they have to restructure that contract. And they would. I mean, yeah. you're not going to you're not going to just um you're not going to give up, you know, multiple first round picks to take on that dollars. Nobody's that dumb. No, that that would be ridiculous if they went and did something like that. So I, that's true. I, I don't know. I mean, I I feel like if they could restructure it, do something around the forty five million dollar range, give yourself some cap relief and some, uh, you know, availability to be flexible. That would be the way to go. Speaking of uh, the NFL, especially with uh, all the news, a lot of coaching interviews going on right now. A lot, very interesting ones. Extremely interesting. You're right about that. Um, especially. Well, I don't know. I mean, uh, what's going on in Arizona is really interesting right now because uh, I don't know if the Cardinals are necessarily, um, you know, closing in on a new head coach, but they're already having second interviews now. So they are definitely, um, you know, it seems like they're working their way through towards getting uh, a, a new head coach. And um, I, I don't know where Sean Payton's going to go. I do find that kind of interesting, but 
I'll say this. I feel like uh, with a new GM now in place in Arizona, you know, Monty Fort's going to have a chance to make his hire, bring his guy in. And with what they already have to work with as a, as a base, that's going to be interesting to see who gets that job. Right, because you wonder, is it a quick, like, do you need somebody to go in and win immediately, which is probably not realistic. Kyler Murray will be sidelined for the majority of next year. So you'd probably have to look at hopefully uh, scheduling something for, you know, uh, having like a veteran step in, uh, handle the offense to begin with. You also have a very old roster, Steve. So while you have some studs like DeAndre Hopkins, you'd be one, you'd be um, interested to know if he wants to be dealt or if he wants to be traded away from the team in order for them to kind of get, get more draft capital in return. How about this? Um, Howard Balzer uh, tweeted out that sources tell him Sean Payton will meet with the Cardinals on Thursday. How about that? I like that fit a lot because, number one, uh, Sean Payton can go into a system where he already knows the quarterback is somewhat proven, right? Like, you know, already has that extension, already locked up uh, under contract, and he can develop. And then, number two, Sean Payton, in that system with the Cardinals, he might have more of a directional leadership or um, a directional say as to what kind of personnel comes into the mix. So I would expect uh, him to kind of share those types of GM responsibilities with Ozenfort, like you mentioned. What about what's going on with Dan Quinn? He is having his second interview with the Cardinals. So, number two with the Cardinals, the Broncos are interested in Dan Quinn. The Colts are interested in Dan Quinn. So, chances are the Cowboys will be without their defensive coordinator, and they might even be without their offensive coordinator because Kellen Moore is interviewing in Carolina for that job. In my opinion, Steve, I think the two more attractive jobs are Houston and Carolina. I feel like both programs have owners who are committed to winning right now and are not ready to fire a coach if they bring him into the mix right away. The Colts job with Jim Ursay kind of meddling as an owner and not a lot of uh, you know direction there and future. You still have to get a new quarterback with the Colts right there. I have red flags over that program. Same with the, the Cardinals. Even though they have Kyler Murray, even though you might have more say as a GM. Just not a winning a winning culture out there in Arizona. Well, and the question is, could they sell Sean Payton on the job uh, if he, in fact, meets with them on Thursday? Possibly. I just feel like with David Tepper, the owner of the Carolina Panthers, that's a really attractive job, and, and he's willing to spend big money to make things like that happen. So if you bring in a coach and you say, hey, look, if you come in here, you're able to hire anybody you want. We'll pay anybody uh, that those kinds of dollars, and we'll look to you for that directional leadership as far as what kind of players we bring in. What do you do, though, if you are the Cowboys and suddenly you need to hire a new offensive and defensive coordinator for next year? That's an interesting point that that uh, Mike McCarthy will have to deal with. like Assuming he, he's still the head coach. Exactly. And uh, there's some names out there. Nathaniel Hackett is out there. He has some ties uh, with Mike McCarthy that are kind of interesting. Uh, also, you know, you, you've heard some things, some uh, rumblings about the Cowboys maybe promoting uh, from within and seeing if they can, uh, you know, supplement some of the guys that they currently have as their offensive or defensive coordinator. But I think the defensive coordinator spot is the most uh, tough for the Cowboys to lose. Like, I, I'd almost want to promote Dan Quinn to head coach before I'd lose him if I were the Cowboys. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's true. 
Dan Quinn, pretty popular guy, but I don't think the Cowboys are going to get rid of McCarthy and bring Quinn in as a head coach. Just don't see that happening. No, it's not realistic. No, I'm with you. 43 pass. We'll come back, wrap up hour number two of three. Stay with us. Sports Talk continues. 600 ESPN El Paso. News along with UTEP Zay, Adrian Broadus. I'm Steve Kaplowitz. We've been waiting for this caller. Conrad is back with us. Hi, Conrad. Uh, Thanks for getting in. How you doing? Yeah, yeah, not good. Not good. You know, I, I called you a couple of weeks ago. I told you, you know, what was going to happen. Yep. You know, I didn't realize how bad Tampa Bay is. And pretty much I think Brady's just given up on that team. So that, uh, you know, we won that game. But, I, you know, I'm going to say this. The uh, Jerry Jones team will not win three playoff games. Under the new format, of course, only one team gets the home field advantage. A Jerry Jones team will not win three playoff games. Couldn't do it, even with the old format, when uh, guys like Tony Romo wanted to go to Cancun with Jessica Simpson, when guys like Jason Garrett decided they wanted to have a rookie uh, playing a divisional against Green Bay at home. A Jerry Jones team will not win three playoff games. And I, and I hope all the AT&T Stadium fans out there that want to be out there taking their selfies, wearing their pink uh, Dak Prescott jerseys, I want them to hear me. Jerry Jones' team, a Jerry Jones team, will not win three playoff games ever. Ever. Well, it's already happened. It just won't happen again, right? That's the best way to say it. Well, you know, under the Jimmy Johnson system, yes, you know, under the uh, uh, you know, that yeah, that, now, that now, was a dominant team. Now but, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. I got questions for you since you just uh, you know you're fired up. Number one, could Dak Prescott ever win a Super Bowl with the Cowboys? No, he won't win a Super Bowl with anybody. Okay, the guy, you know, the guy is the fourth round draft pick for Mississippi State. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that's fair. Um, if you were Jerry Jones. Would you give up uh, possibly, uh, you know, one plus more, well, at least one first-round pick plus more to get uh, Sean Payton if he was interested in coming back? Uh, you got to get me with that one, huh? Yep, sure do. <laughs> sure do. I like, I like Sean Payton. I do like Sean Payton. But, I mean, he's got to have total control. And I'm saying total control. That'll Jerry never Jones and that'll never happen. You know that'll never yeah, happen. That, that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. Jerry Jones can't come in the office one day. Oh, you know, I want to get, I want to get Tio. I want to get Tio. You know, like you did with uh, Parcel. Yeah, uh, that can't happen. I get it. I'm just, I threw it out there. I don't think Sean Payton goes to Dallas. But yeah, in, all, in all honesty, I think Mike McCarthy stays when it's all said and done. I think McCarthy will stay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I looked through the season, and from what I saw in the season, just, and from what I've seen from the past three years from that guy, just bad game management, bad game planning. I mean, it, it just, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't understand it. You know, I mean, I don't know if he needs to get his own coaches. I mean, as far as on the offense, because I mean, yeah. Dan Quinn's doing a great job on defense. You know, your team, the defense holds the team to 19 points. And you still can't win the game. It's true. I mean, that's that's just pathetic. 
Yeah, well, you're right. By the way, they're going to probably need a new defensive coordinator. I, I think Dan Quinn is gone. So they need somebody else to run the defense. And for all I know, they could need a new offensive coordinator, which might be a blessing in disguise for you and all Cowboys fans who want to see Kellen Moore gone. Yeah, I mean, Kellen Moore, Kellen Moore, you know, vanilla offense. And, 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 let, and let's look at this, too. As far as the receiving core, you know, what do they do at the beginning of the season? I never liked Amari Cooper. I thought they gave up too much for him, and then they gave him that big contract. But, you know, they got rid of him, and look what we have now. We have CeeDee Lamb. Michael Gallup, who was definitely overrated. I mean, the guy's a third, uh, a third option uh, receiver. He's not a second option receiver. And then we got everybody else that I don't know. I don't know what 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 the heck they're doing. So, right. you know, that's that's a Jerry Jones uh, decision on, on getting rid of Amari Cooper at the beginning of this season. Conrad, enjoy the off season. I'm sure I'll be talking to you plenty between now and then. Thanks for getting in. Thanks for the call. Final hour next. Stay with us. Sports Talk comes back here right after this. 600 ESPN El Paso. We've got a caller on the line to begin our final hour of the show. Two lines are available, 505-6009. Along with the aforementioned Adrian Broadus and UTEP Zay, I'm Steve Kaplowitz. Welcome back to the show. We've talked about Scott Rowland in the Hall of Fame. It's it's really a shift for baseball. I mean, the Hall of Fame, this is, this is a signal to me that they are valuing defense as much, if not more, than offense. Because clearly Scott Rowland's offense didn't get him into Cooperstown. His defense did. And my question is, and I'll have this for Jay Jaffe tomorrow, how many other Scott Rowlands are there over the last 100 years in baseball? Guys that were great defensive players, good offensive players, ignored because they didn't do enough offensively, and now all of a sudden as we're paying attention to defense, maybe we need to historically look back and see all of the really good hitters that were overlooked because nobody really gave any, uh, you know, g- g- gave a uh, a crud about their uh, their off, you know, their defensive numbers. Yeah, that's a really good point. Uh, I did see that only seventeen third basemen have been enshrined into Cooperstown, which is a kind of an interesting number, lower than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Rowland has been described as a lot of things. We we said uh, what would you say earlier? Uh, not silky. We said, uh, st- what, what was the word that you used to describe his defense? Silky smooth. Silky smooth. Okay, okay. So I just saw another one, um, another word used to describe his defense. Uh, this is from Yahoo Sports. They said he is a wizard in the mm. field. Okay, so we got silky smooth and uh, a wizard as a description for Scott Rowland. Interesting. By the way, wizard was always uh, Ozzie Smith. He was the wizard. Same era too, right? Oh, no, 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 no. We're talking Ozzy Smith. Yeah, Ozzy Smith came up. Ozzy yeah. Smith came up. Padres late seventies, okay. then to the Cardinals in the eighties, and finished up in the nineties. That's the real Wizards, right there. Uh, not, always, not Scott uh, Rowland. He was always the Wizard. But hey, um, once again, you know, and Todd Helton's going to get in, and Todd Helton also um, a really, really good defensive first baseman who did a lot offensively, just. You know, he never hit any of those milestone numbers. Uh, and he played an era with Jeff Bagwell um, and, and and good National League first baseman. That always made it tougher for him to get all-stars on a regular basis. But, you know, it's another name. I mean, I like Todd Helton. 
His offensive numbers are a little inflated by cores, but hey, that's part of the uh, the beauty of playing for the Rockies your whole career, right? Yeah, and also this at the same point, Steve, whether it's Helton, whether it's Roland, the reason why we're having these debates right now, it, you know, for the Nason Basketball Hall of Fame or the Pro Football Hall of Fame, we're just ready to get anybody who's nominated in. Like, we, we just want more people in and we're happy for people. But for baseball, since they hold their Hall of Fame to a high standard, that's what leaves us uh, to these debates right here between Roland, you know, having debates on Helton, on whether or not they should be in, and uh, that's why we still get, you know, chirps about A-Rod and things like that. That's true. I wonder if um, if Gary Sheffield is going to, uh, I don't think he's going to get up 20 points. I mean, he's at 55% and he has one year left to go. One year left. Yeah, probably uh, light at the end of the tunnel right there and it's not looking too bright. No, I mean, he, he, he went up, I think the year before he was at 48%. So he did go up, but he would have to have a huge jump to to go. Actually, no, uh, Sheffield went from, you know what, it's possible. He was 40.6% last year, and he went from 40% to 55%. That's a 15% jump. He needs to get another 20% jump to get into the hole. It could happen. He might get up to 75% in his final year of eligibility. It's possible. Yeah, it's a big jump from year to year right there, and that's what usually indicates that, hey, maybe they can make that jump next year so we can kind of see if he's uh, if he gets in in 2024. And I said this before, and I'll say it again, I think Gary Sheffield would become the first El Paso minor league baseball player to get into Cooperstown. Oh, that's a, that's a great stat right there. I love that. I don't think there's ever been a Diablo who's ever been, um, you know, Cooperstown. Now, I'm not talking about rehab. Because yes, technically for a day, Randy Johnson pitched for the uh, for the, for the Diablos, but I mean somebody coming up the system with El Paso as a Double A ball player. I know the Alouz all played here, but they're not in the Hall of Fame. Um, I don't think Orlando Cepeda played here. Um, so you know, you start to think about you know those El Paso teams over the years. I don't think there's ever been a Hall of Famer on that group. In that group, I should say. That's real interesting. Well, that'd be a great name for uh, the first Diablo or former Diablo to, to get in. I agree with you. So let's go to Rob. He's been waiting patiently on the lines. Hey, Rob, thanks for waiting. How you doing? I'm doing good, Steve. Uh, I was pretty happy to see the Cowboys exit. And all my friends uh, you know, went into hiding, basically. I know. Uh, and I was talking to your dad yesterday. And he was mentioning just how excited he was for you too, this, but because you both, uh, you know, have that the strong dislike for the Cowboys. Yeah, and I just, I'm not a, you know, I'm on the looking at from the outside uh, before I uh, want to talk about uh, the Broncos, but I, I don't really think they're that far off. I think uh, that game probably might have been different in Dallas. Um, they're really, really close to the top, which is Philly and San Francisco, and I don't think they, I don't think they need to do anything super drastic. Um, I just think they need to keep chipping away at it and they'll get to where they want to get eventually if they continue on that path. But I just don't think that's how Dallas does it. They're, they're super, uh, you call it impulsive. Yeah. Um, yeah. But as far as um, the Broncos, uh, I was hearing today that uh, they're going to offer shot paid in a job. So, and they're going to give them some ridiculous salary and he's going to get all the player personnel. Um, decisions, and they also have a first-round pick um, to send Miami. New Orleans. So right? Actually, so they're going to send. So they're going to send their first-round pick to New Orleans as well. Yeah, yeah, that's how they'll do it, and he'll get uh, upwards of I'm hearing twenty million dollars. Wow! And 
annual. But that's that's a that's like me and you putting gas, you know, for these owners, the the Walmart the Walmart owners, the ones that just bought the Broncos. Yeah, you know, that's true. That's, that's, that's true. Um, that's pocket change. That that is correct. That that's that's a good way to put it. By the way, um, do we know yet? Uh, do we know where the Broncos are picking in the draft that they'll be giving to um, you know to New Orleans? I guess they're going to give them the. Let me see here if I've got that. I think pick. it's Miami's pick because they that's right. They traded Bradley Chubb for a first. Yeah, that's true. So the Broncos don't have a first round pick. They do via Miami. Oh, via Miami. That's right. Which one? Yep. Um, I'm looking for that one. What, what number is that? Do you know? So that's probably it's, late first round? Yeah, it's in the 20s. Um, between the tw- I think it's somewhere between 20 and 25 around there. Okay. I'll have to keep um, hunting and see if I can find it. That's fine. I'll yeah, look for it. I like it. I like it better than uh, I like it better than the Dan Quinn hire. And I only say that because we're stuck with Russell Wilson and – I don't think a defensive coach is what Russell needs. I think he needs an offensive mastermind that's going to play to his strengths. And at least I like that approach until maybe he can get out of his funk or we could just get rid of him down the line. But I don't think Dad Quinn is going to fix his his quarterback woes. And I'm not, I'm not too high on uh, Quinn only because, um, yes, he's got head coaching experience, but um, if you look at that Falcons coaching staff, the year he went to the Super Bowl, he had Raheem Morris as a, uh, assistant head coach, Kyle Shanahan, Matt Lafleur, Mike Lafleur, and Mike McDaniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so unless he has an all-star staff like that in Denver, um, I would actually prefer uh, Sean Payton. And I think he's got pieces to work with. They got, you know, uh, they had a really they had a top five defense. Um, they got some receivers to play with, and I would like for them to add a running back, but. I think that's if I'm Sean Payton, I go there over Houston and Denver, where they have, uh, you know, they have a lot more work to do. Essentially, well, I um, think yeah, I, that, I think Sean Payton's going to have decisions, and I think that clearly it's gonna it's gonna fall into play about how um, you know they what he decides has the best chance to win, not just all money. But I'm with you, and and by the way. Um, I don't. I mean, I think that pick for the for the uh, Broncos is going to be a bottom of the first rounder. I mean, it's going to be it's going to be below uh, twenty seven. So you're looking either twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, thirty one, or thirty two when it's all said and done. Yeah. Well, and that if people say that. I don't think uh, he can. He either way, they're going to ask for a first round pick. I, I think he could still decide because he could just say, "I don't want to go to Houston," and you know they won't get anything out of it. So. I still think he has all the leverage with um, with New Orleans, and he could essentially pick where he wants to go. I'm with you on that I don't one. Think, yeah, but I just don't know which one he'll end up choosing when it's all said and done. That's going to be the real. It's going to be the rub. Is uh, where does he decide to go? I mean, you know, now I don't think he goes to Houston either, but they do have the 12th pick. That would be a, a great a, a great pick. You imagine if he goes to the Cardinals and the Cardinals surrenders their third overall pick to New Orleans. Oh. No, I, I, uh, I, I, I can't, I can't imagine him wanting to play, uh, you know, Kyler San Murray and, and Sean McVay, <laughs> yeah. uh, twice a year with Kyler Murray. Well, I know, but I yeah, you never know. Sometimes these coaches believe they can do miracles. So we'll have to yeah, wait and well, see. Thanks for taking my call, Steve. Appreciate you, yeah. Rob. Thanks for the call. What do you think? I mean, I don't know where Sean Payton ends up. 
It's actually a really good question. I don't know where he ends up. The compensation debate is a really interesting one, right? Because there's never really been a precedent set on a coach being traded. The only one I could think of off the top of the head, Steve, is John Gruden when he was traded in the early 2000s uh, from the Bucks to the Raiders. And we thought that was pretty uh, monstrous as far as a trade. I think it was like two first-round picks. Yeah. But that's not really – that doesn't set the precedent. I mean, that's we're talking about a decade-plus ago right there with that trade from Bucks to the, the Raiders and John Gruden. I would think, like, do the New Orleans say, Saints say no to three second-round picks? Because I feel like that's pretty fair compensation. I don't know. Right I mean, New Orleans ultimately decides what happens with Sean Payton, right? I mean, yeah. Sean Payton can't say he wants to go someplace, and if the organization doesn't work it out, then then it's not going to happen. So that's the crazy thing, too, is what if Sean Payton agrees to be a head coach and New Orleans doesn't get the right offer? Then what? Yeah, that's a really good point. I feel like the though. The third overall pick, the 12th overall pick, that's way too much. I mean, you're talking about a, a day one guy who could play from you for you uh, as early as tomorrow. Like, that's yeah. a lot to ask for uh, from the New Orleans Saints. I know they're going to want a lot, and I think an end of the first round pick is probably more uh, reasonable. But I, I would say uh, if you coupled like three or four second round picks over the next four years, I, I don't think that's a bad pick whatsoever or bad trade whatsoever. No, I think that's good, but I think they want the first rounder. I don't think they want a second rounder. I think they want a first rounder because New Orleans doesn't pick in the first round. Yeah, uh, it would make a lot of they, sense. They for want them. they want to make sure that they get they, they they recoup a first round pick, even if it's middle of the first round, and maybe the uh, the compensation is just one, like simply a one first round pick yeah. for a head coach, and then you kind of fa- like think of it about it like. All right, if they get an edge rusher, is that edge rusher worth Sean Payton? So it's, it's well, kind of weird, right? I'll tell you this much. If the Cardinals take Sean Payton and they offer the number three pick for him, there's no way New Orleans is going to get more than that. Oh, third, no. A third overall pick, that's that's a very healthy piece of compensation right there. Then we're treading into Gruden-like compensation. Then we're thinking, okay, well, the highest bidder will have to include a first-round pick and then probably a first-round pick in the next year's draft. Yep, that's true. That is true. All right. 16 past as we continue here on Sports Talk. Let's go to Charlie. Let's get a traffic update. We'll come back. We've got another 45 minutes with you here as we take you up till 7 o'clock on 600 ESPN El Paso. Back here on Sports Talk. As we continue right now, 20 past the hour. Why is Sean Payton so wanted? What did he do after Drew Brees? And defense is king right now, so why do you want an offensive head coach? It's a great question by Baba Bowie right now. I was just talking with Zay here. Are coaches overvalued? I, I mean, like, if we're talking about a first-round pick and, you know, trading up what, what could be a difference maker on your team for yeah. a head coach, do we really put that much stock in these coaches right now? I guess we do. I guess so. Hey, Sal had a great tweet earlier today about Jerry Jones following that call we had at the end of our 5 o'clock hour. Here's what Sal tweeted out. Jerry Jones is the greatest owner ever. That's a probably a message to Conrad. Cowboys could be 0-17, and the stadium would still be packed. That's true. Even with a bad football team, uh, Jerry World always is a filled-up venue. And how about those numbers when you got a chance to see how many people really watched that divisional round playoff game? It was the second most watched divisional playoff game behind, you guessed it, Cowboys, Packers, 2014, Descott at game. 
Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, everybody has their eyes glued to the Cowboys. Can you imagine if the Cowboys actually made an NFC title game and I know. that that viewership number, what that would look like? They're still America's team. They, they are. are. You know, they haven't been relevant as far as a Super Bowl in almost 30 years, but it's America's team. I mean, that's just the facts. Yeah, and everybody talks about them. But, it's, it's all we talked about yesterday on the show. But, but... The San Francisco 49ers are pretty popular themselves. So when you get the 49ers and the Cowboys in an elimination playoff game, that's big ratings right there. Big ratings. Yeah, it's two of the um, top-storied franchises Mm -hmm. in the NFC going up against each other, and everybody remembers all the great games, and everybody even remembers last year's game and the bitter ending to the Cowboys' season last year against the 49ers. That's very true. That is very true. So, yeah, it's, uh, uh, once again, um, you know, you think about it. And I think this week's going to have great ratings. I don't think the Eagles and 49ers will do quite as good as the Cowboys in 49ers, but I think people are going to be intrigued in that game. I really do. I think they'll do very well. Uh, San Francisco and Philadelphia are major markets. They'll draw in the casual football fan. There's a lot of Eagles fans around the country. It's like there's a lot of 49ers fans. And I think Bengals Chiefs will uh, also Uh, peak a lot of interest as far as the football fans go because you're talking about the two best quarterbacks in the NFL squaring off against each other. Let's be honest. If you're going to ask people right now who are the top two quarterbacks, they probably would say Patrick Mahomes and Joe Burrow. And you've got them going up against each other again this time in in another uh, AFC title game. And can Mahomes do something he's never done before? Beat Joe Burrow. He's 0-3 against Burrow. And he's the best uh, player in the NFL, arguably, right now. And he he has to get over that hump uh, in order to try to beat the Bengals. I mean, when we're talking about some of these nationally televised games and the ratings and stuff, for the Super Bowl, is the the biggest draw going to be Chiefs 49ers rematch? Or would you say it's Bengals 49ers as far as most intriguing matchup for viewership only? Oof. Viewership only? Yes, that's right. Well... Here's the question, too, okay? I mean, what do you want to see more? Do you want to see Brock Purdy try to play for a Super Bowl title as Mr. Irrelevant? Or do you want to see Jalen Hurts, who is arguably a top-five quarterback right now in the NFL, with a team that looked awfully good all season long, uh, try to go up and, and defeat one of the two AFC powers, be it the Chiefs or the Bengals? Because think about this, okay? The Niners are a great story. The Eagles have been a just a, a monster team all season long, with the exception of when Hurts got hurt. Yeah, it's a good point. I feel like with uh, the 49ers, though, you could sell yourself big time on that Cinderella story, and it starts with Brock Purdy, yep. the, the rookie quarterback, Mr. Irrelevant. You would hear that uh, nonstop for two weeks, and it would be Brock Purdy at the biggest stage of them all, uh, You know, less than a year ago, not even thinking that he could even make it into the NFL ro- like on a roster. So, That's true. Uh, let alone and, make it to the Super Bowl at that point. And I got a better one for you, okay? The 49ers have not won a Super Bowl since 1995. Longer drought than the Cowboys. That's right. That is right. So the Eagles won already with Doug Peterson. They've won their Super Bowl. Nick Foles, a quarterback. Uh, You can't say that about the 49ers. They have not won in almost 30 years. So you're right about that. Longest drought, which also makes the 49ers, uh, because the 49ers dominated the NFL for about a 10-year period. 
from the mid-80s to the mid-90s. With Montana and Young, they were very, very good. But their five Super Bowls all came between 1985 and 1995. They haven't had a chance to... They haven't had a chance to be Super Bowl relevant uh, as far as wins in a long time. So I think that there would be a lot of interest if the 49ers go back to the big one. You know, it's interesting you uh, reference Joe Montana. And I just kind of feel like, you know, over the past half decade, the 49ers have objectively dominated the NFC. They've made it to the NFC title game three out of the last four years and made it to the Super Bowl uh, once over the last four years, and they lost. But the one thing you can maybe say that really has held them back in these NFC title losses or that Super Bowl loss uh, a couple years ago to the Chiefs is their quarterback position and mm-hmm. what, how they've been held back by Jimmy Garoppolo. So True. it'd be interesting. You know, Joe Montana won a Super Bowl because he was one of the best quarterbacks of all time. But I, the 49ers this time around, they do not have uh, a, a prolific quarterback like that. Well, think about this, okay? So the 49ers beat the Bengals twice in the Super Bowl. Beat them in 82, beat them in 89. So if they played the Bengals again, third time you would see – 49ers, Bengals in the Super Bowl. They never played the Chiefs yet. Haven't done that. So that would be new. But um, Bengals and 49ers have a lot of history going back to the 80s. First Super Bowl for, for San Francisco wasn't that it was in 82. And then they won in 89. Yeah, I really like, I would love if we see that matchup. Bengals, 49ers with all the history behind it. Collinsworth, am I wrong? Collinsworth yeah. on those teams with the Bengals? Or is that is that? No, before? you're right. You're right. He um, was definitely on the 89 team, and I think he was on the 82 team. I'm almost positive Collinsworth played for them in, in, in 82. I don't know what his rookie year was, but I think that's... That's about right. I got to double check. That. That's the only bangle I can mention from that, that era. That was uh, that was all I was trying to do there. But uh, nonetheless, the interesting part about it, I mean, we've seen 49ers Chiefs. We saw mm-hmm. Patrick Mahomes beat uh, the San Francisco in that Super Bowl just three years ago. So Bengals uh, 49ers would be something new. Eagles mm-hmm. Chiefs, that would be something new as well. 81 to 88. So he played in the 82 Super Bowl. But I don't think he played in the 89 Super Bowl. I got you. Okay. That's really interesting. Yeah, he played his eight seasons all with the Bengals. So, anyway, it's a good story. Um, you know, and, and who knows what's going to end up happening when it's all said and done. Oh, you know what? I take that back. He played in Super Bowl 23. That was the final game of his career. So he did get to play in both Super Bowls. Wow, he's probably one of the few from that Bengals organization who did both. That's true. That is true. Um, yeah. And he had a second-quarter fumble in his first Super Bowl, Super Bowl sixteen, when he was hit by Eric Wright, and that was when the 49ers went 92 yards down the field, and they won that game 26-21. Oh, that probably haunts him still to this day. I wouldn't be surprised. Hey, bottom of the hour as we continue here on Sports Talk. Let's get right back to Adrian. Let's do one more. Sports Center update as we get to our final 30 minutes of the show. Adrian, thank you very much. 32 now past the hour here on Sports Talk. 505-6009. That's our telephone number. 505-6009. If you want to get in and talk about any of the discussion that we've had so far, which includes the Cowboys, NFL, the postseason, our trip to Radio Row in a couple of weeks. Uh, we've also had a chance to discuss um, UTEP a little bit. Just touched on the student section because that was trending on um, what is that uh, weekly um, the tweet that we get? What is that called? 
Um, it's by Big Game Boomer, and uh, he just right. yeah, Big Game Boomer. Is there a website called BigGameBoomer.com? No, there isn't. It's just it's it's just a guy, some dude that just randomly comes up with stuff. Yep. We need to get Big Game Boomer on the show. Aren't you kind of interested in who has all that spare time to go ahead and do all that kind of work and research? Yes, yes, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. All right. Well. How does he come up with all these lists? Because it's always like uh, top five running backs in college football, like top ten yes. shooting guards in college basketball. We'd love to hear how how they get this. I would love. I, I, would you also love to know if it was just one person or if it's actually more? Yes, definitely. I'm in the same boat. I would like to know more about that too, and see if Big Game Boomer is, um, you know, first off, Big Game Boomer is verified. That I know, and he does have uh, DMs open. So, you know, that's something else you could do right there, Zay. You slip into his DMs. Well, like a couple months ago, like I was added to a group chat with by him. It, it was just a bunch of sports accounts. So, yeah, I think I, I think I can. Is it but it's what is the handle? It's not at Big Game Boomer. What is it at? What's the Twitter handle? Um Let me look it up. It, yeah, it, it, it's just at Big Game Boomer. Yep. Big Game Boomer, huh? All right. Well, the funny thing about Big Game Boomer is he hasn't had a tweet uh since December. Oh no, here it is. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I looked at something wrong. I was looking at the pin tweet. Okay, so he's got his DMs open. Yeah, go hit that. Go hit, go hit him up on his DM, see what he says. That'd be good. Because, oh, and by the way, here's something kind of interesting. The greatest NFL player of all time from every school, uh, thank God they still have Don Maynard listed for UTEP. I was wondering if they were going to place Don Maynard with Aaron Jones. And Aaron Jones quickly is establishing a great uh, you know, NFL reputation, which could ultimately put him up in Canton if he's able to stay healthy and play into his 30s. You never know. It's possible. But uh, Don Maynard still, let's be honest, retired as every record holder in in football history when he left uh, the NFL in the early 70s. So um, as much as I love Aaron Jones, and I think that Aaron Jones is uh, on his way to potentially even, you know, being that kind of player, that special Hall of Fame player, if he can prolong his career, stay healthy, play into his 30s, and and keep running for 1,000-yard seasons wherever he is, um, you got to still give it right now to, um, you know, to, to Maynard for what he was able to do. Yeah, he's still the UTEP GOAT. He's still the – when you think about UTEP football, it has to start with Don Maynard, and uh, he's a Hall of Famer. So that's where that's where UTEP's greatest player has to come from. Yeah, I'm with you. But that's a cool, that's a cool list. Greatest NFL player from every school. I like that list. I like that list a lot. Let's go to Pinky. He's joining us next. Sports Talk continues. Do you get a new cell phone? Uh, yeah. All right. You sound great, man. <laughs> that new cell phone sounds amazing. I love it. How are you, Pinky? Oh, here we go. Oh, come on, man. Give me a break. It does. It sounds I beautiful. Haven't, I, haven't got, I haven't gotten any breaks since this Saturday night. Okay. Hey, uh, uh, real quick, uh, great show like always. Your callers are fantastic. Everybody's fantastic on that show. Uh my call today is about something else that happened today in the sporting world, actually high school sporting world, is the announcement that Quentin Demps is the head coach at Converse Judson. That is just, like, amazing. For If people don't follow Texas high school football, Converse Judson has been one of the programs in the biggest schools that have been up there all these years or for so many years. And, you know, I know that there's a lot of other schools right now that are picking up the slack besides that, but Converse Johnson was like the uh, Permian of the 80s and 90s and 2000s. We have to correct you on this, okay? We have to correct you. 
because wait, wait. because uh, today Quinton Demps was named head football coach at Judson University Football in oh. Elgin, Illinois. It's a college football program. Well, from what I got at first, the first messages I got was they they said Converse Judson. I guess whoever did it messed me up completely. But that's still still that's still yeah. a big big step. And any any head coach in football in any level is great. Yeah, absolutely. Someone, someone acts, acts like minus. Thank you for correcting me, and I apologize no to everybody else that was out there. But I love Converse no. Judson, too. That was my reaction originally, too. But, yeah, no, it's Just, Judson you University. See, see Judson. Yeah. You see Judson, yeah. you say, wow, and I read into it and said, right. Converse Judson, and I, somebody wrote down there, that's Converse Judson. And nah, I, you're okay, though. You're okay. It's good, good, good take. Good take. But no, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you corrected it. I'm glad you looked it up and corrected it, because I, I, I was waiting a phone call from my brother, who lives right there, and, and he lives. I'm just. Be, I'm, I'm just surprised Esteban hasn't uh, corrected you on Twitter yet like he corrects everybody else. So maybe that's coming soon, too. Uh, oh, well, I'll be waiting for it. If it happens, oh, well. Yeah, he Never takes mind. it easy on you. He's got a soft spot for you, so that's good. Well, we've been, we've you. been friends for a long time. Yeah, and then yeah. It goes on, it goes on beyond, and he's a big UTEP minor fan. He that's is. Good. He's a big one. But no, but thanks a lot for straightening me out. You know, I'm going to look it up better now. Sounds good. Where exactly this university is and everything. So hey, we're going to get Q Demps on the show for sure. So thanks, Pinky. Good I job, hope man. So. I, hope, I hope so, too. Thanks. See you Appreciate later. Appreciate you. All right. You got it. You too, man. Hey, uh, here was the reaction, by the way, when the uh, Judson football players found out that um, they had Quinton Demps as their new head football coach today. Yeah, yeah. There you go. That was the uh, that was the news that uh, you know Quentin Demps comes in. The place starts clapping and uh, pretty exciting, pretty exciting stuff. I'm so happy for Quentin Demps. I mean, uh, the the meteoric rise is pretty amazing, Steve. You don't see this happen in any level, whether it's high school football or you know right. college, NAIA, JUCO, whatever. He was a safeties coach. He was somebody at, at his previous stop at Trinity International who really helped out with student development, but more with like the mental health aspect. So he was kind of like almost a therapist slash counselor slash coach at Trinity University. And then he goes to a head coaching job. And uh, I love this rise for him. Uh, it's in kind of a, an area that he's very familiar with uh, in that Chicago, outside of Chicago area, Illinois. But mm-hmm. he knows that those people. He knows the coaches. He spent time there as being a safety for the Chicago Bears. So he's probably made a lot of relationships with high school coaches that he can actually get some great talent from and so build too. this program. I, I, and by the way, how exciting is it? I mean... Here's a guy in his, what, his mid-30s, and he finds himself now as a head football coach? Well, can you also think of all the great track record of UTEP former players who have now done uh, positive things in the coaching ranks? Look at Jordan Palmer, yep. how the XFL is about to get started, and he's pretty much grooming every single quarterback who's going to be playing in the XFL. You look at Quentin Demps, he's now a head coach at a university. Uh, I have to mention him, Matt Matt Lefwich, uh, now the offensive coordinator out of Texas State and recently played at quarterback here at UTEP. Matt Lefwich is a great example. Great example. All right, look, we got 20 minutes left to go. When we come back, final countdown. Adrian and Zay are going to take you home as we get you ready for ESPN Radio. Freddie and Fitzsimmons about 20 minutes away. It's all coming up right here. 600 ESPN El Paso.